in the face of the madness of Corona. Um, I was still at the back there earlier chatting with Babs and um, Andrea, and we were sharing photographs of empty shelves in the supermarkets. <laughs> and I just want to remind you that God's storehouse is never empty. God has an abundant storehouse for us, and he has enough, and he will provide. So, are we all ready for some more of Lamentations? <laughs> it's a disturbing slide, isn't it? Annie and Pam and I, um, last week, toyed with the idea of maybe enhancing it a little bit. A little bit of lippy, maybe. <laughs> a touch of blue eyeshadow, a pair of sunglasses. Some hair, at the very least. That's probably the funniest I'm going to be. <laughs> I, I don't apologize for the fact that I'm going to take us, as one famous preacher once said, from the mountaintops of praise, uh, thank you very much, Matt and the band, way down into the valley. It's difficult not to, with lamentations. So I'm asking you to bear with me. Um, I think Lamentations should come with a health warning. It is a downer. But I hope that as we go through the valley, we will end up back on the mountaintops again and have a panoramic view of God's goodness and his purpose. So we're studying some of the most disturbing material. Lamentations is not an easy read. I've read it four or five times now in preparation for this. It's not a comfortable read. It doesn't hold back. It doesn't protect us from some of the harsher realities of life. And it faces suffering head on. Something we're not always inclined to do, are we? But it's there, it's in the Bible, and it's there for a reason. And whether we like it or not, suffering, pain, hardship, loss, Grief and hurt are an inescapable part of life. Something I can imagine all of us can testify to. I'm, I reckon if I ask for a show of hands from anyone who has never experienced that, there would be no hands raised. I'd be very surprised if there was. So, have you ever seen a fabulous diamond on display? Chances are if you have, it will have been against a dark background like this. Because diamonds are shown off to their best against about a dark background. The Book of Lamentations is much like that dark background. It's undoubtedly the darkest book in the entire Bible, and yet there are diamonds to be found. So Steve set the background for us last week. Lamentations chronicles in minute and stark detail the 9-11 ground zero moment in the lives of the Old Testament people of God. It describes the most cataclysmic event of Old Testament history, the fall of Jerusalem into the hands of the Babylonian armies of King Nebuchadnezzar. I wasn't looking forward to saying that. On the seventh day of the fifth month, 
in 587 BC. Following a two-year siege, Jerusalem's walls were finally breached. The city was dismantled and burned. Horrific atrocities visited upon its people and its survivors led away into captivity in Babylon. Theologically, the picture is even grimmer than that. All God's saving purposes rested on this people. There were promises over them. There were promises over their land, promises over their king, promises over their temple. They were God's chosen people. They were called out of Egypt in an incredible story, led through the wilderness, lived in victory over their enemies, took the land promised to them, established their city, and at its center, the temple of God, where the very presence of God dwelt with them. Now, the people were enslaved, their land occupied, their king mutilated and in chains. The blackened rubble of their temple was looted, pulled down, burnt, bearing ample testimony to the apparent failure of God's promises and his apparent abandonment of them. I wonder how many of you have felt that, where you've had promises of God over you and suddenly it's felt like, what's happened? Apparently God's promises have failed and apparently God has abandoned you. The Hebrew title of the book of Lamentations is Ekar, which means how. And if you check out the first verses of chapters one, two, and four, they start with that word, how, how. Chapter one, verse one, how deserted lies the city. How like a widow is she. Chapter two, verse one, how the Lord has covered his daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. And chapter four, verse one, how the gold has lost its luster. It's both a question and a cry of pain, a statement of struggle and of bewilderment, a howl, if you like, of anguish. How can this be happening? This is the end of everything for the people of God. Or was it? Like the Jewish people, when we face hardship, sorrow, grief, and darkness, we are left with some very difficult questions. Where, how? Why? What we discovered last week is it's okay to ask them. It's okay to lament. It's okay to howl in anguish. It's okay to cry. In fact, we need to lament. It's necessary. So this week, we're going to discover that lamenting is a process. It's the act of faith that holds on in the pain. And if we allow the process, something surprising happens. So against this dark backdrop, there are some fascinating gems to be discovered about this book. Lamentations, as Steve pointed out last week, consists basically of five poems. These poems are skillful literary works. They're carefully designed. They're carefully structured. They're not just a wild outpouring of grief. They're not just an uncontrolled, free-flowing expression. 
the writer has actually been very controlled, very deliberate in the way that he's constructed these chapters, these poems. And he wants to communicate something through that. He wants to convey something through the structure, not just the words. Poems, as you know, usually have a form. You may well have written a haiku at school. I certainly wrote a few of those. Um, haikus, if you remember, are 17 words composed in three lines of five, seven, five syllables. So here's an example. A diamond is a chunk of coal that did well under huge pressure. The poetic form of Lamentations means something. It invites us to dig, to look beyond just the words, beyond the dark content, to find the treasure. So the first thing I think we find in Lament is that Lament is a bridge. It holds on to God in the disconnect. We need to un unpack the structure a bit to be able to see how that works. So as I've said, five chapters, five poems. Each poem, as Steve pointed out last week, has 22 verses, except chapter three. And we'll come to that in a minute. So we have chapters one, two, four, and five, each with 22 verses. In all but chapter five, each verse begins with a new letter in sequence of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So verse 1 starts with A, verse 2 starts with B, verse 3 starts with C. <laughs> Nearly forgot my alphabet then. <laughs> Chapter 3 does the same thing, but with triple emphasis. So chapter three has 22 times three, which even I know is 66 verses. You can go and check, it's true, I promise. And the verses contain the same structure in chapter three, except that they go A, 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 B, 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 C, C, C. It's a bit like a sandwich with a jam filling. There's something important that the writer wants us to get hold of here. Scholars suggest that the A to Z structure emphasizes completeness or totality, representing both the complete and utter total destruction of Jerusalem and the complete and utter total consistency of God. Who remains? the beginning and the end, the A to Z, the alpha and omega, in all things, over all things, above all things. It's basically telling us both those things can be true in tandem. Devastation and our enduring faithful God. The promise of God, who he is, and the pain we go through exist in life together. So lament is the bridge, if you like, that wrestles with this and holds on to God in the disconnect. My second point, that was lament is the bridge. My second point is lament is the tool. If you are willing to dig in dark places, 
there are diamonds to be found. Don't be afraid of the dark. As Christians, don't be afraid of the dark. There are diamonds to be found. You see, when we're in a dark place, God promises this. I'll give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you might what? So that you might know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel who calls you by name. He knows your name. So the next thing I think the author of Lamentations wants us to see is that lament is a tool. It's a tool that we can use to dig in the darkness like miners with a pickaxe in the coal face until we find the diamonds. That right there is an act of faith. So my, do, my job today is to dig into chapters one, two, four, and five. Not a big ask. <laughs> if you like, I get the bread of the sandwich and Steve gets the jam next week. <laughs> Honestly, these chapters are horrific. They are a holocaust. If you think we're hearing some awful stuff on the news about what goes on in our world today, try reading this. It's enough to make your blood freeze in your veins. It's dark, dark, dark. There will be people here in this room who have walked through some dark seasons. Many of us will go through some dark seasons and some of us are currently going through a dark season. We face some difficult stuff in life, either personally or in the lives of the people around us who we love and we care about. Darkness can be something that lasts a short time or a long time for a believing Christian. It can happen to any believer. It doesn't mean you're lost. It doesn't mean you've strayed. This darkness can happen without you knowing why, but there is a reason. There is a purpose, and eventually you will know it. If you're currently one of those people, then I would strongly advise you to read the Psalms. One third of the Psalms are lament. They'll give you permission to express what you feel, to be real with God, and to connect with the hope that others have found before you. So Lamentations 3 verses two and six say this. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. He has made me dwell in darkness. And Psalm 88, which is a powerful lament, ends with this. Darkness is my closest friend. Not even you, God. Darkness is my closest friend. When Jonathan and I were still young adults, we experienced a couple of events in quick succession which turned our lives upside down. The first involved a young couple in our church. We'd not long since moved from Durham to Darlington to plant a church, and this particular couple, they moved with us. They were a couple with great potential. They'd only just got married. And one day I waved them off. They were heading off to Scotland for a well-deserved break. They never got there. And by the end of that day, Jill, like Job, had lost everything in her life. She had lost her husband, her career, 
her ability to have children, her independence, her mobility, her future, her freedom, all lost in the flash of a fatal car accident, which killed her husband and left her paralyzed from the neck down. This young lady taught us a lot about lament. And as we walked through the ABCs of her now life, uh, driving the hour up to Hexham to visit her, where she spent six months in hospital while they stabilized her spine, attending the funeral of her young husband in the hospital chapel, because that's the only place she could get to, to be able to attend. Watching and praying as she learned to adapt to life in a wheelchair, dealing with the big questions of healing and loss. Jill is one of the most inspirational people I've ever met. She has lived this life, the life she ended up with for the past 32 years, never complaining to those around her, but I know she complained to God. I know she raged at him. She shook her fist at him. My mum used to quote a German Christian psychotherapist who used to say, be angry with God. Shake your fist at him. He can't take it. <laughs> Over the years, Jill has brought such richness to our lives, regularly bringing God's word to us like this in church regularly welcoming broken people into her home with the big questions, helping them to see what she's learned to see. She's someone who has studied lamentations in depth, and much of what I'm bringing you today is from her notes. Bad things happen to good people, and there are good people in this room to whom some really difficult things have happened. And I can't stand here and tell you why. There are things I don't understand. But I can tell you, you have a God who cares deeply. He loves you deeply. He weeps for our brokenness and our pain. The fact that this book is there tells us that. He knows it, he sees it, he carries it. In fact, he entered right into it by sending his only son, Jesus, the very best person to whom the worst things have happened. Jesus carried all our pain, all our sorrow in his body on the cross so that we can be restored and healed. And I, along many, alongside many, can testify to that. Steve and Luke are going to be talking further into the series about God's great love and his plans for our restoration in the third and fourth of these series. So please remember there is an up after this down. The second event that happened to Jonathan and I, though unconnected to what happened to Jill, uh, happened soon afterwards and sent us reeling from everything that we had given our lives to in the previous 10 years. All of that came crashing down around our heads. Our church life dissolved. Our friendships were shattered. Everything we believed God had called us to was called into question. And we spent the next 10 years or so, between the ages of 30 and 40, so not very old, in a dark and difficult place, wondering what had happened to all our dreams. We felt abandoned by God, disappointed, confused, forgotten, 
and dismayed. But let me tell you this, I would do that 10 years again. Yes, I would. I would do that 10 years again. Why? Because I've learned 10 times more about the grace of God in my dark times than I ever will outside of them. Jonathan and I would not be the people we are today if we hadn't walked the walk we've walked. So when you're in a dark place and you're feeling the absence of God and your question is, where are you, God? Why have you abandoned me? Where have you gone? When you go through darkness and you don't feel God's there and you shout and scream at him until you're spent, and then you're able to say, but you are God and I'm not. And I don't understand, but I'm holding on to what I know That's when your lament tunes your heart to God's song. So lament is how we reorientate our hearts like a compass point towards the God who is there even when we don't feel him. You see, hardship tests what you believe. It certainly tested what I believed. In our brokenness, God removes all our objects of trust so that we learn to trust only him. He surfaces, if you like, what we think about ourselves and what we think about him when we go through those times. So Christian lament is actually one of the most theologically rich things you could ever do. And it ought to be for that very reason, because it dredges up from within you what you really think about yourself what you really think about God, and what you really think about the world you live in. See, we can only really learn to trust him when we're struggling to believe he's there. That's when we begin to trust the who behind the what. There's something about darkness. It heightens the senses. It makes us aware of things we weren't aware of before. We see differently in the dark, And as we dig deep, we plumb the depths of God's grace. I really am going to need my teeth in for this one. Nicholas Walterstorff is a professor in theology who wrote a book called Lament for a Son. After the untimely death of his 25-year-old son, Eric, in a climbing accident. And he said this, I love this, he said this, I shall look at the world through tears, Perhaps I shall see things dry-eyed that before, sorry, perhaps I shall see things that dry-eyed I could not see. I'll say it again. I shall look at the world through tears. Perhaps I shall see things that dry-eyed I could not see. So my third point. Lament is a journey. It takes us from A to Z. It's a process If we can walk through pain, refusing to let go go of God in the disconnect, the Bible tells us we will be transformed and we will come forth like pure gold or like precious jewels. You know, diamonds are created because of a process they go through. So it's a process of transformation under harsh conditions. In the dark, where no one sees, a process happens that changes pure carbon into these priceless, beautiful jewels. 
It takes immense heat and pressure to make a diamond. And as Christians, we're not exempt from this. The Bible teaches us that we can expect to go through heat and pressure. So in 1 Peter 4 verse 12, we find, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial or the fiery ordeal when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange has come upon you. Or in Isaiah 43 verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So adversity is like that fire. And rather than destroying us, it refines us, it strengthens us, it even beautifies us. There are two ways we can deal with heat and pressure. We can do something to avoid it, or we can see it as something to walk through with God. So lament is a process. You see, the writer knows this. He knows this is how life goes. A, B, C, D. And by the crescendo of chapter three, he's shouting it. A, 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 B, 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 C, C, C. There's no shortcutting the process. There's no getting around it. There's no detour that means that I can stay in my happy place and escape life's hardships. Life takes us to the mountaintops and it takes us to the valleys. It takes us through a land of plenty and it takes us through the wilderness. It takes us through day and it takes us through night. A journey has a destination. It takes us from A to Z. And the great news is there is a Z. Lament is how we navigate it. So between one and two years into our dark season, I was about ready for it to end. I'd had enough by then. And I'm shouting at God and saying, Lord, come on, break through. Shift this stuff. Put us back on a safe place where I can be happy again. <laughs> and right about that time, God sent a godly, lovely, prophetic guy. And I saw him coming and I'm going, here we go. This is it. I didn't receive him very graciously because he didn't bring me the word I was looking for. <laughs> what he told me was, he said, Fran, you're going to go through a season of greater turbulence. No, that's not what I want to hear. He said, you're going to go through white water rapids and you're going to need to paddle hard and fast. I wasn't a happy bunny. <laughs> I wasn't impressed. It wasn't what I wanted to hear. I was looking for more like serene, calm waters through the beautiful countryside. <laughs> I wasn't listening, and twice in the midst of pain, God had to remind me very bluntly of what he wanted me to get hold of. Both times, I found myself standing staring at a screen First time it was a TV screen, the second time it was a cinema screen, but both times it was exactly the same thing. It was an advert, I only ever saw it twice. And this advert meant that the screen filled with footage of rushing white water, the noise was there, the water was there, rushing white, and I stood there 
transfixed by this screen. And then in bright yellow letters comes up, have you got it? Have you got it? <laughs> I've got it. <laughs> there is this tiny little figure in a kayak paddling for all he was worth. I don't know if you can even see him there. He is there. The thing about paddling is it involves repeated rhythm. And the thing about lamentations is it's written with repeated rhythm. A, 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 B, 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 C, C, C. And the thing about the biblical perspective on pain and suffering is that we have to walk. This fairly standard, mundane, rhythmical thing that we do every day. The Bible's very clear about pain and suffering. We have to walk through it. Steady, repeated actions that we can keep up in a sustained way for a long period of time. Most of us can, Sandra. Walking. <laughs> the Western view of affliction or pain is that it's bad, something to be avoided. The biblical view of pain is it's something we have to walk through. Sometimes we've seen it characterized as walking in darkness, and you'll know the famous Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The walking metaphor points us towards progress and process. Walking with God means keeping him in view, talking to him as you walk, talking about what you're walking through with him, keeping him alongside you, even when you're not doing a great job of things, which I often wasn't, even when you're snotty and grumpy, and the only way you know how to communicate with him is to shout at him. The key is that you're talking to him, and you're inviting him to see you as you are where you are. There's nothing tidy about this. God sees us in our mess. And the amazing thing is, he's right there in it with us. So Lamentations chapters 1 and 2, 4 and 5, give us very little to grab hold of as an anchor in the torrent of grief and raw pain. But several times, the writer says this, Look, Lord, and consider. That's chapter 1, verse 11. See, Lord, how distressed I am. Look, Lord, and consider. Again there in, verse, in chapter 2. Look, Lord, and see my disgrace. You see, the invitation is there for God to look at us and see us just as we are. No hiding. For us to be transparent Finally, we get to see who we really are. I learned a lot about myself going through those dark times. And we say, look, Lord. I know I was half joking when I said about um, popping a bit of makeup on Munch's The Scream um, to soften it a little bit. But actually, that's what we do, isn't it? Quite often, instead of coming before God like that, we bung the makeup on, we do our hair, and we come before God all polite. Why do we think we have to be polite with God? 
Why do we think we have to cover ourselves over when he can see it and he knows anyway? Here's another slide, another haiku. Your transparency is really what caught my eye, beautiful diamond. I feel that's something God actually wants to speak to someone here today. Your transparency is actually what caught my eye, beautiful diamond. Final point, lament is a magnet which draws us towards deeper relationship with God. It teaches us that in prayer, the things we ask for are almost never what we really need. And we learn to value God's person and his presence over his provision. When we're in a pain-filled place, our question is why? If God really loves me, why is this happening to me? We often have a childlike understanding, if you like, of our relationship with God. It kind of works a bit like an equation. If I do this, God will do that. If I'm good, God will bless me, which conversely means if God isn't blessing me, I must be doing something wrong. That's a big lie. (laughs) To a great degree, when we come to God, we come to him because we want something. Come on, admit it. (laughs) It's true. Like me, I wanted him to step in and end the pain. And one of the reasons we struggle in our pain is he seemingly doesn't answer our prayer. He seemingly doesn't give us what we want. Pain highlights the fact that our relationship with God is very much outcome-based. We want God to heal us of that physical illness or we want him to lift us up out of that depression or provide a husband or a house or a job. And very often he does because he's a loving father who loves to give us good gifts but not at the expense of deeper relationship with him and not at the expense of what's eternal. See, we want God for his benefits rather than for God himself. And God wants us to know he loves us for who we are, not for what we do. And he wants us to love him for who he is, not for what he does. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, we all who with unfailed, unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory and Philippians 1:16 says being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion until the day of Jesus Christ when a jeweler is looking at the quality of a diamond to determine its worth he's looking for transparency transparency, clarity, and cut. Now the cut is significant. It's where the skill of a diamond cutter creates the maximum brilliance. Cutting creates brilliance. The shine and sparkle that come from a rough stone come from that action of cutting. The better the cut, the more the light reflected. Hardship 
often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary destiny. So don't shun hardship. You might just be an ordinary person for whom God has an extraordinary destiny. If the band would like to come up, I'm just going to close. <coughs> I don't know where God finds you today. I don't know whether you are currently struggling with where you find yourself, with what life has brought you. I don't know whether you're asking the question, where are you, God? Why, God? If that's you, then I would urge you to push through like that lady that Steve talked about earlier, who pushed through the crowd to touch the garment uh, of Jesus, the hem of his garment. Push through and allow lament to be your bridge, the bridge that connects you to the Father who loves you. Pick up that tool and dig deep in the darkness. You'll find diamonds there. And as you walk out your process, let lament be the magnet that draws you to God. Let's be a people who do what the writer of Lamentations did. Let's allow lament to draw us out of our limited perspective and remind us of God's bigger plan for us as individuals, but also for the broken world that's out there. I'm just going to finish with this one thing and then I'm going to hand over to the band. If we keep facing Godward in prayer and in orientation through our difficult times, pouring out the reality in faith to God, we eventually end up with God himself, the greatest treasure of all.